When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. It is the triumphant return of Market Down Monday. I'm Nathan Baird from Cleveland.com, along with Doug Maurice and Stephen Means. Have you guys been looking forward to this moment where we get to, especially now that we just got to revisit how right and wrong we were last year, the chance to put the other two guys on the spot and make your case as to why you're right and wrong. And, and hopefully in the long run, it shows how much smarter you were than your colleagues. I would say that my main goal is to not be smarter than you guys. It is just to not be embarrassingly dumb. So given that the pod that we just did reviewing Market Down Monday, which I would direct everyone to if they have not listened to it, went much better than I anticipated, I am reinvigorated with a fervor for market down Monday. I want to mark everything down because I go through life assuming, and and, uh, listen, I'm a cocky jerk, but underneath that cocky jerk shell is a very scared young boy who thinks everything he says is wrong. But now that scared young boy has put on his dancing pants because I'm not always wrong. I'm just sometimes wrong. So, oh, this is, these will be the greatest market down Mondays leading into this season that I have ever participated in. Steven, do you have a separate pair of dancing pants? Um, I do. And I echo Doug's sentiment, except there is no scared little boy inside of me. Um, I live by the decree that Steven means is always right. Even when I'm wrong, I'm right. So I'm very excited to once again, go through these next couple of weeks of being right. Even when I'm wrong. I think you just explained a lot about the Stephen Means dynamic. <laughs> no, we learned a lot. I can't be wrong. But we learned a lot. I, I think we, I thought one of the most valuable Buckeye talks that we have ever done was the pizza eating Buckeye talk because we learned a lot about Stephen Means on a day when he ate mm-hmm. 40% of a pizza that he claimed he would eat entirely. And he was like, I still am right. I still yeah. ate the whole pizza, even though the pizza was sitting there in front of him. And he was like, I ate this pizza. And it was like, OK, this is the Stephen Means experience personified. Yeah, I had a text message uh, exchange today, 614-350-3315. If you want to vote in the what will probably be weekly polls we're doing for Market on Monday, if you want to just have exchanges with us like this. But somebody had said something about uh, uh, just kind of making fun of how I had to go back and listen to 14 podcasts to do that episode. And I said, well, I learned my lesson. Sometimes like when you hire um, um, 
Bill Davis to coach your linebackers or you enter a pizza eating contest without liking pizza crust, you learn your lessons the hard way. So it just today, that's just the gift that keeps on giving that, that episode of Buckeye Talk. I I think the the point to that is, is that Steven did not learn any lessons from that. He (laughs) continues to live the Steven means experience crust be darned. Because yeah. you know what? Ohio State's linebacker recruiting took a while to get back to where it needed to be. And we're still kind of worried about linebackers. I'm not worried about my pizza eating ability. I'm going to get some pizza tonight. And I'm not going to finish it. But I guess what? In my <laughs> mind, <laughs> I finished the pizza. Because I said I was, you know why? Because I said I was finished. That, oh, man. But that was, there was such joy. I'm going to get some pizza tonight and I'm not going to finish it. It was like that. Oh my God, the joy in the voice. Like I, I drove that flaming school bus into a brick wall, but yep. at least I did it at full speed. Yeah. Anyway, mark it down Monday. Let's get to the topic at hand. Uh, we're not going to go through 14 of these the next time we do it because life circumstances intervened. We're only doing about seven of these to take us into the start of the 2022 season. But we're starting off with the extension of a conversation that we were having out of the one of the rapid fire podcasts we did earlier this week, which is who will be Ohio State's second leading receiver in 2022. And we're going to mark down each of the three categories, uh, receptions, receiving yards, touchdowns. Basically, the premise of this, and I sent the poll out to the text subscribers, was Jackson Smith Jigba is number one, at least in receptions and yards. I gave them the option on the third one. They could pick from everybody. But we're just, I'm just, we're just going right to, we're assuming that to be the case. Um, who's going to be number two in those categories? I wanted to kind of start with that idea though, Doug, and I thought you'd be giving some good perspective on this. This idea of when was the last time Ohio State's number one receiver was this clear cut? Because obviously the last couple of years you had the Alave Wilson tandem. 2019, you had this, you know, five-man glut with KJ Hill, Ben Victor, Austin Mack, Chris Alave was just coming on. Uh, Garrett Wilson was a true freshman. So you had a, a, a big pile of guys from what I remember my first year here. In 2018, um, Paris Campbell had a lot of reception. So did K.J. Hill. They were kind of splitting that. In 2017 as well, 2016, you had Curtis Samuel was by far the leading receiver, but he wasn't really even a receiver. wasn't always a receiver for that team. So you got to really go back. I was thinking maybe 2014, 2015, where you had the Michael Thomas, Jalen Marshall dynamic. Was that the last time someone was a clear-cut number one, or you have to go back even farther than that? I'm, no, thinking, I like, say- I'm thinking going into a season. Yeah, I, I, th- I think even further back than that because uh clearly in in 2014 Devin Smith is there and then even in 15 like Jalen Marshall was you know a pretty important receiver for them he wasn't Michael Thomas but like they didn't they didn't use Michael Thomas like a number one receiver right like and that's part of it too it's not just who you are but how you're used right that was there a gap you know Jalen Marshall went undrafted Jalen Marshall was a very good college football player Michael Thomas went on to be like the best receiver in the NFL for about two years there and should have been a first round pick. So the gap maybe between the receivers that year might've been pretty wide, but I don't think the offense functioned in that way. So I'm in the process of going through this as we speak, I would say, and and maybe we'll wind up being wrong on this because maybe the number two receiver on this team will play a huge role and not be that far behind Jackson Smith and Jigba. But I would say, maybe quite possibly the entire time that I've covered this team, there's never been a gap like this because I'm back to 2005, what we like to call the Le Maurice era of Ohio state football. And I'm just looking at stuff. I know what I'm, I'm just, you know, it's like 
Devere Posey was really good, but like Dane Sanzenbacher was right there. Like they were a great duo, you know, and there were, t- you know, Santonio Holmes was awesome. I'm looking at 04. Santonio Holmes had 769 receiving yards that year. Tedkin Jr. had 359. So he basically had double anybody else. That was freshman Tedkin Jr. Like that's electric Tedkin Jr., but maybe the impact there is a little more in the return game. He's not a full-fledged receiver yet. But still, like, oh, my gosh, when Ted Ginn Jr. got the ball in his hands, people went crazy. And that's the last year I didn't cover the team. So maybe 04 that, like, Santonio Holmes is, like, a pretty established – he's, like, a pro, right? He's, he's, like, a lot like Michael Thomas. Um, he certainly became that way in 04. Maybe that year, but still, that's that predates me. And I would argue maybe that year still is not quite what we might face this year because I don't know that anybody as good as Marvin Harrison and Emeka Buka and Julian Fleming might be. I don't know that – they're going to have quite the juice this season that like freshman Ted Ginn Jr. had when people were like, anytime he touches the ball, uh, fireworks might go off, even though he only had 359 receiving yards. Brian Hartline just got a lot of kudos for the, you know, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, uh, Jameson Williams trifecta going in the first round of the NFL draft. I thought though, and we're going to have a lot of time to talk about Jackson Smith, the jig who go into the year, including on some other market down Monday podcasts, but is, as much as the kudos he got for for that trio, is Jackson Smith the Jigba actually the poster child for the Brian Hartline process? You know, you've got a, a guy who was a national recruit, you know, Hartline going into Texas and getting him, a guy who, when he committed, was still very undervalued. Um, you guys remember where he was ranked, or even ballpark where he was ranked the day that he committed per the 247 sports rankings? Mid-300s. That may have been the consensus that the 247 rating, the one that I found said t- number 288 overall and number 59 among receivers on the day he actually committed. So that's just two, 247 sports popular or proper. Uh, the composite might have been even a little lower. Uh, by the way, he committed the same day as Marcus Crowley. Stephen, you were um, commenting that on the, the exchange that a couple of uh, current prospects had the other day about uh, making sure you. Uh, emphasize your commitment and and yeah. you know, emphasize your branding. Like that's a way to way to kind of get buried. Uh, Marcus Crowley committed, <laughs> and then Jackson Smith Jigba committed later that day. But again, at the time, not a huge prospect. Uh, made the most of the few freshman opportunities he had. Uh, just flashes here and there, but there was clear momentum coming in the second year, and then sort of exploded when he was given the chance. It, am I? You think I'm on base here, Stephen, by saying that like Jackson Smith Jigba, as much as we like looked at Brian Hartline's start of his Ohio State career through the Wilson Olave lens, I, I feel like Jackson Smith Jigba is right now the poster child for what it is to be a Brian Hartline receiver. Yeah, because first from you kind of touched on it with the recruiting point. It's the Brian Hartline likes who Brian Hartline likes. And he's not necessarily worried about the ranking so much. And now you're in every class looking for that guy. It's probably Bryson Rogers in this 2023 class, the guy where Brian Hartline likes him even if the rankings don't don't make it make sense. And then he ends up being what he is. And now we're seeing what he is. And now it's, I recruited him. I picked him. And now I'm developing him. And now we're seeing the other side of that. We're getting start to finish while with Hardline really didn't have much to do with the recruitments of either Jack, uh, Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave. That's, that's uh, Zach Smith and Ryan day. While with James, even Jamison Williams was really his first guy. But yep. even then it's like, he's still a GA at that point. And so the relationship is on me, but so much, this is the first like, Brian Hartline is an assistant coach and he went out and got a guy. And now we're seeing the, the, the other side of that. So one more question before we get into kind of breaking down the candidates here to be Ohio State's second leading receiver behind JSN to be a championship team in 2022, does Ohio state need an Olave 
to Smith and Jigba's Wilson, or I suppose a Wilson to his Alave, however you want to look at it, or does it merely need consistently good play at both of the other non-Jackson Smith and Jigba spots? Do you understand what I'm asking? Does it need a one singular star to emerge as the second guy on this team? Or are we really talking about a this this team can be good? I suppose you could even argue a way that they're even better if it's if it's a, a mix of guys who are all performing well. And we had a version of this discussion on our recent right. uh, rapid fire the other day. Right. And, and I'll repeat what I said then, which is like, I, I don't think they have to have it. And it's like, you can't have guys dropping balls. You can't have guys who can't get open. It can't be that, oh, if CJ Stroud looks at Jackson Smith and Jigba and he's double teamed and then he goes to look somewhere else, like nobody else is available. Or if he throws it to him, the guy drops it. It can't be non-functional, but I think if it's sort of evenly distributed, and they're all solid. I still think there's a way this team could be very, very good offensively in that world. Yeah, that's the key. It has to be one or the other. It has to be either the other three are just equally as good as the other one. So it doesn't matter. Or one of these guys is just like one and one B, but you can't have it. It's the Jackson Smith and Jigma showing nobody else. Yeah. But that's also the one that we think is the, by far the least likely option. Yeah. This team is just, uh, it's Jackson Smith and Jigba out there being awesome and everybody else is just tripping over themselves and dropping balls. Like that's, that isn't really something that people think is on the table. And so I've, I've finished my research here mid pod. And I will say, I think this would be potentially the most they've leaned on their number one receiver since 2002, which is like, Oh, can you, can you win a national championship leaning on your number one receiver? It's like, you mean like the, in 2002 when they did it, and Michael Jenkins had 1,076 yards for them that year. And Chris Gamble was second with 499 while he was also playing some corner. And the third leading receiver for that team had 178 receiving yards. So Michael Jenkins doubled the number two guy and had like eight times more than the number three guy. And Michael Jenkins like dragged them, dragged that pass. I mean, and, and caught and now, now different era they didn't throw it as much they had malouche claret they had a great defense but when they threw it it was very very clear who the guy was that they were going to throw to and who the dangerous guy was and then i think past oh two in 98 when david boston had 1000 and had 1400 receiving yards d miller still had 900 i think after to oh two you probably go back to 1995 and Terry Glenn's huge year. And that year, Terry Glenn had 1,400 receiving yards. Tight end Ricky Dudley was second on the team in receiving yards with 575. So he had 850 more receiving yards than the next best receiver who wasn't even a receiver. And the actual next best receiver was Buster Tillman with 538. So that is, that's Terry Glenn all day, every day. So I think that, I think Glenn and Jenkins are probably your reference points in the past three decades for where I, I where I don't think we'll land to that degree. I, I really don't think I, I, well, is it possible, Steven, is it possible that Jackson Smith and Jigba has twice as many receiving yards as any other guy in the team? I would not put money on that because those two people that you just brought to my attention it's like no different than when georgia tech had calvin johnson and they're running like the triple option but it's like we also have calvin johnson so we're going to throw him the ball when we throw it because nobody can stop him i just don't think that's how this offense operates do i think that jackson can have 
500 more yards than the next guy, kind of like how he did this past season. Yes, but I don't think he can double up anybody. I don't. I just don't think the offense works that way. Okay, but wait. So we, I don't want this to become all about Jackson Smith and Jigba, but I think it's important in this context. We've talked about whether Jackson Smith and Jigba can challenge the record. Yeah. Which is Could like 2,100. 2, yeah. 2000. So you're going to say the number two guy on Ohio State's roster has 1,500 receive, 15 or 1,600 receiving yards? No, 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 no. We're saying, will he double it? So well, he, he, just said, two, he just said only 500 more. So he's, well, so Steven, you're also saying he's not going to get the record. I'm, it's, even if he gets a record, that means your number two guy has 1,000. I, I, I mean, I will say. We, so here's my question Do we think what happened in the Rose Bowl, and not in terms of like Jackson having 350, but him just having that much more usage than everybody else, that's going to be every single week this year? No. Then, then they can't, then no, he's not going to double. Other game. There's going to be other games this season where Marvin Harrison led this team in receiving yards, or Julian Fleming or Emeka Buka led this team in catches. But then I think that I, means he's not going to get the record. I guess the question is, do I think Jackson Smith and Jigba could finish with 1,800 receiving yards and Ohio State's second leading receiver has 900? Yes, I do think that's possible. I think that's And possible. I think it's possible that Jackson Smith and Jigba has 18. The number two guy has 900. The number three guy has 720. The number four guy has 530. Wow. Okay. You know what okay. I mean? Like, because we're talking yeah, it's about more, like, it's more about the other three guys taking away from each other than like Jackson Smith and Jigba taking away from. I don't think Jackson person. Smith and Jigba is going to account for half their receiving yards, right. but could he okay. double the next best guy? Yes. In that world, yeah. I think that's if, possible. Yeah. Okay. I can see that. Yes. But again, just I'm just pointing that because of what you said, Stephen. I want to make sure people understand the math. Like, if he gets 1,800, I'm not sure. I think somebody else gets 1,500 or, or 1,300. 1300 no. I well, yeah. if uh, I, I think well, if that's if somebody else gets 1,300, that just means those are the only two guys. And you guys are talking about more of a world where it's like Jackson is clearly what he is, but then also Marvin, Emeka, and Julian are also contributing, and so those three are taking from one guy having a big because if you add up what you just said with the other three, it's 13, 1,400 yards. Yeah, but that's not what we're doing or what we're talking about. We're talking about like, will he have double the number two guy? So, because uh, part of it is, and, and actually, when you say there will be games when somebody else leads them in receiving yards. If they play, say they play 14 games, how many games do you think Jackson Smith and Jigba leads them in receiving yards? Like, I, I think I'd take 12. I think the I, way he doesn't lead them in receiving yards one week is if somebody locks him down as much as they can in a first half where Ohio State still scores like 42 points and he just doesn't play the second half. I don't know if you can lock down Jackson. I mean, that, that will be something Lockdowns, that we find out. But, but limit. Well, they, yeah, but they, they take him away. Yeah. Yeah. Like we, we sell out to take him away and like, he's just not open. And the other guys are so open as a result that like yeah. CJ just has to take that. Right. Well, like, I mean, I've, I've got to take a Mecca here. My gosh, there's like, there's literally nobody within nobody within eight yards of him. And I, when I look at JSN, there's a safety over top, a linebacker underneath and a, and a cornerback up his Jersey. I can't, I can't throw to him and a Mecca's wide open again and again. And again, I, I guess that might happen some games, but maybe that's Mark. Can we add a market? There's no sense well, doing a separate pot on that. Can we mark down how many games do you think Jackson Smith and Jigba will lead this team in yeah, receiving yards? We can do that. Or how many, how many won't he lead in receiving yards? Or won't. Just okay, because yeah. that's better because we don't know exactly how many games they will play. 
Well, we also and and if he doesn't play, that doesn't count. Is that Let's fair? Just do reg- can we just do regular yes. season then? Because it makes it easier to be able to mark this. Because like by the time we get to the playoff, like they're gonna force feed that guy the ball in the playoff right. game. I'll add it. So we uh, do do we want to do it right now? Let's do it right now. Let's give people a taste of us marking it down Ooh, right now. Make, we're not taste. gonna make them wait till segment three. Yeah, we're gonna give them a morsel. They've been waiting with bated breath since last August for us to mark something down. How many? Okay, so let's say twelve regular season games. Twelve regular season games and. We'll say it out of 13, 12 regular season games, and then it's either going to be a Big Ten championship or a, a, a bowl game. Worst case scenario. Actually, actually, let's just make it 12, because if they don't win the Big Ten championship, he may not play at the bowl game. 12 regular season games. <laughs> How many that he plays in does he not lead Ohio State in receptions? Receptions or receiving yards? Or receiving yards, receiving yards, receiving yards. So we're doing that he doesn't lead them in games he plays. I'll say one. I'll say two. Or, or I think, and so here's my reasoning. I think it's just as likely when they play some of these better teams that they he gets like the Chris Olave thing where it's like, okay, like last year was like, we're going to take Chris Olave away because we don't want that deep threat at all. And so all of a sudden, Jackson Smith, the Jigba's rack, racking up all this stuff underneath. And that's why that was happening. I think it's just as likely this year that everybody knows where CJ likes to go with the ball and who his best weapon is. So they try to take away Jackson Smith, the Jigba, as much as humanly possible. And they limit him. And what it starts doing is it opens up stuff for the other three. Yeah, I'm not sure the transitive property works that easily, though, when you're talking about such different usages within. But also... Yeah, but also with slot guys, it's all about yards after the catch. So it's just as likely that like Jackson Smith the Jigba has a game where he has seven catches for like 65 yards just because he was getting, you know, they wrapped him up as soon as he caught the ball near the line of scrimmage. I, I know what you're saying with that, um, but I, I do generally subscribe to the idea that it's more difficult to take away a slot receiver than it is like a deep it is. So uh, I'm just looking at Jordan Addison, who won the Blitnikoff last year at Pitt. And in the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, he led Pitt in receiving the last seven games of the year. One, two, three, four, five, six. The first six games, he only led them twice, but that was a lot of blowouts and mm-hmm. some weird stuff. And I also mm-hmm. think maybe he was just like starting to become Jordan Addison, that he wasn't quite the Boletnikoff guy in the first half of the year. But like once he got rolling and he was the dude like he was the dude every week. So just a tiny little note. So, okay. That's a good market down. We should do Nathan. Should we make, should we dedicate ourselves to this now? Since we're only doing seven market downs before the start of the season, should we have an appetizer market down? An appetizer? Sure. An appetizer. I'll try to remember that. I'll try to remember that we can end the first segment each week with a very almost spontaneous market down. Maybe I won't even tell you guys what we're doing. It'll be very spur of the moment. What we're marking down. Also, I really hope you're writing these down so you don't a year from now have to go back and listen through all these pods. Well, like I said, some of us learn our lessons um, the hard way. You should have learned your lesson about the pizza before it ever happened. I won't be doing that. I won't be doing that. No. But I, be- I, I have notes this year. Two best appetizers. Generally speaking, green bean crispers. You, you turn your green beans into french fries. You batter fry your green bean. You can buy them at the store, make them, heat them up at home. Great green bean crispers, specifically the buffalo chicken. I don't know what they're called. Things at Cheesecake Factory. It's like hot lava buffalo sauce and chicken inside breading. 
um, that are my favorite appetizer at any restaurant. So and there's green bean involved in that too. No, no, no. It's a t- totally different thing. Oh, so, okay. so the, the best appetizer generally that you can find in many places, including at the grocery store, green bean crispers, the specific best appetizer, the Buffalo chicken thing at cheesecake factory. I feel so good about my prediction at one that I'm referring to this as my Buffalo chicken cheesecake factory appetizer. I, I'm going to probably put a vote in for just really good chips and salsa. A lot of times they're free. And when you get high quality chip and it's gotta be a sturdy chip, not those crappy uh, chilies mm-hmm. chips, like a real tortilla chip that they, you know, something authentic and then a very good salsa. I think that's that it just sets a great mood for the whole meal. And it's free. Cheese, cheese stick guy. Love mozzarella cheese sticks. My kids are cheese stick guys. Like they will, they will everywhere they go. That's what they want. Mm-hmm. They're also big potato skins people. Uh, I also, the much like the beginning of this podcast, Sometimes with the chips and salsa, you can go too hard and it takes away from the entree that mm. it's like I'm stuffed on chips and salsa. Yeah. Well, you do have to have some, but, but listen, that's <laughs> still, that's still a less filling thing than like um, uh, deep fried logs of cheese. No, I agree. But there's a limit to that. Like when it's, when it's re- chips refills and salsa refills, my family goes hard, man. And then we inevitably are staring at each other at our, at with two-thirds of our entrees sitting on our plates and saying, why did we eat all those chips? Also, fried pickles. That's a big, it's big in our house. And do you they brine? Don't travel well. They don't do you travel brine well. and do you grow cucumbers? We make our own. No, we don't you, make our own. For we real? How many people listening to the podcast assume that the Baird family made yeah, their own fried pickles? Don't make your own ice cream, man. It's not crazy that you guys make your own food over there. Now, we grow the cucumbers. We haven't made our own pickles yet. We didn't successfully grow cucumbers last year. Our cucumbers are off to a good start, and I'm in Michigan City, Indiana, as I'm uh, uh, recording this. But I've been following the my weather app, and it looks like you guys have been getting some rain in Columbus area this week. Which we yes. really needed. So awesome. Okay. So maybe we'll have, maybe we'll get to actually pickle some cucumbers this year, but we haven't yet. So if we do, I'll fry some up and um, describe them to you as I eat them. You can't have any, but I'll, I'll, I'll eat them <laughs> and tell you how they were on the pod. I, I guarantee that Bennett Baird in his lifetime will eat fried pickles made from scratch, grown from the earth by his parents. Completely plausible. Uh, that took an interesting turn. We're going to get into who the actual candidates Mark are. Mark that down. Will Bennett Baird ever eat fried pickles that were grown, brined? What do you call when you turn a cucumber into a pickle? What's that process called? Magic? Pickling. What it, pickling. <laughs> will, will Bennett Baird ever eat pick, fried pickles that were grown, pickled, and fr- chopped up and fried by his parents? Yes or no? I am marking down a hearty yes. I, I hope so. That sounds like I, I figured Martin some things dream. out. Yeah. We're going to come back and talk a little bit about the candidates to be Ohio State's number two receiver. <laughs> number two appetizer, if you will. When we come back from break here on Buckeye Talk. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. So we're going to roll down the list of players that we think could finish behind Jackson Smith Jigba in receptions and yards, and I guess potentially lead Ohio State in touchdowns. That was the one that I thought there was some variance because that is uh, in some ways less predictable. So if someone wants to make a case for someone besides Jackson Simpson Jig with leading touchdowns, we will do that in the later segment. But just running down the list of candidates, I wanted to start off talking with Julian Fleming, because as I was listening to Buckeye talk on break, there was an episode where you guys got into a Julian Fleming discussion. And it was the first time this thought had kind of popped into my head, sort of the difference between if you had to rank, if you had to give a, a number value to these two things, which one would be? what would be the difference of those two numbers? And it was how important it is for Julian Fleming to have a great 2022 season and how important it is for Ohio state for Julian Fleming to have a great 2022 season. Cause those two numbers every year seem to be getting a little bit farther apart from each other because this room has been recruited so successfully because other guys have stepped up and, and shown some things We're at an interesting um, juncture of his career where if he never reaches the heights that you would expect from being the number one overall recruit in that uh, prospect class, I, I don't know if it leaves a big hole for Ohio State. It's a little bit like the Zach Harrison thing where you've got Sawyer and Tuimaloa coming along and they could just take that spot and be, if, if they reach their potential, then it lessens how great Zach Harrison has to be. Yes, and I think we have direct recent examples of that with how things transpired with Jamison Williams, who was turned out to be a very, very talented wide receiver who had a very limited role in Ohio state's offense in 2020, as they made the national championship game. And I think you could apply the same thing to Julian Fleming. It doesn't mean he's not a talented receiver, but if it kind of just doesn't click this year, they got other dudes, and I think they would be fine. I think the only legitimate benefit, if he does like the Marshawn Lattimore thing, he pops, is that like Ohio State's had back-to-back draft classes with first two first-round receivers, and they joined Bama with that. But that's more of like a social media look what we did, look at this cool thing, than what actually happens on the field and whether or not they win games or not. Yeah, and it's just. That Yeah, that you're right, that that is more just like a cosmetic thing almost, although it would certainly help Ohio State be a championship-level team. If, if Julian Fleming proves it, himself to be a first-round receiver, Ohio State is a it, better team in 2022 than even probably what we're expecting right now in some ways. It would be a very crazy cosmetic thing if Ohio State had Chris and Garrett this year, Jackson and Julian next year, and then the year after that, Emeka and Marvin. Yes, that would be a great cosmetic thing, but then at that point, it's just like you said, it's a – cool thing for social media that almost like hammers a point that we already know about Brian Hartline at this point. I mean, I do think there's sort of not that this is the opposite of what we were talking about before, but a different version of it. What if CJ Stroud throws for 5,000 yards, wins the Heisman, Ohio state goes undefeated, wins the national championship, and they have three 1000 yard receivers that Jackson Smith and Jigba has 14, and Marvin Harrison has 1,100 and Julian Fleming has 1,100. And like, that's their reality. 
and not crazy because there's a version of that too right (laughs) that's like that and then like well then what is that it's like well that is an indefensible offense that you can't you can't lean toward anybody because everybody burns you and by the way Travion Henderson's doing his thing too and in 25 years, when we're talking about the great offenses in college football, we're talking about the 2022 Ohio State Buckeyes. Like if Julian Fleming rises to his peak and it helps create that, that's like a thing. I don't think it's – I think it's like a bonus, right? Like now. Now the other thing is if Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Buka are both like, hey, man, it's only year two for those guys. No matter how talented they are and how much they flashed last year – they're still only in their second years in college. Like, you know, you can't, maybe don't assume everything with them. Julian's been around an extra year. Yeah. He's been hurt, but like, I don't know. I also don't, I don't expect it, but is it impossible that we get to a world where it's like, Oh man, I actually think like they kind of need Julian Fleming here because maybe this other stuff isn't working as well as we anticipated. I'm more, maybe they just have 3000 yard receivers just because, I mean, we could have said the same. We were saying the same thing about Jackson a year ago, and then he did what he did. Now, I'm not saying that, like, now Mecca's up to, you know, blow everybody out the water and Marvin is as well, but it's just – this is how this works, man. Top 100 recruit, five-star recruit, year two, let's go. And that yeah. – especially in that room, like, let's go. And, and I agree with that. That's what I think will happen too. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I don't think I, – I have a hard time looking at this and seeing another year of Julian Fleming being – just sort of a spectator whether that is because of injuries again not his fault or because of ineffectiveness I I don't really see especially that second thing that would be a little bit surprising to me if we just get to the end of this year and we look and Julian Fleming has like a handful of catches and was only in in second halves like that would be a little bit surprising to me I, I, I envision a thing where he is in the mix somewhere I guess I see it more that I think the the championship vision of Ohio State as I kind of project it has Julian Fleming in that three-person mix. I just don't know if I, – I think – and maybe you guys disagree. Have you just sort of readjusted – Doug, you used the word peak before. Have you readjusted what the peak looks like probably for Julian Fleming? I don't know that I've readjusted what the peak is. I think I've lessened the chances of him getting to it. But I think yeah. the idea of what is the peak for him, the peak is like – a dude who is really valuable to an offense and has a chance to be a first round receiver. I still think that's the peak, but if you thought mm-hmm. when he got here as the number one receiver in his class, Oh, he's got a 70% chance of doing that. Well, then maybe, you know, now maybe you thought oh, 50% chance after a while, the way year one went. So maybe that's down to 35%, but I still think that peak is, is kind of the same thing. I agree. Yeah, I- I, and I, this is one of those times where people sometimes accuse us of, you know, negativity or whatever. But really, I think it's more just trying to look at things from a sober perspective and what we've seen and 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 what we haven't. What is still a, a speculation. And I, I him, also I think because I, I, I also think. The uh, there I also think, though, there is a scenario where. Jackson is Jackson and Marvin Harrison and Emeka Egbuka are. Awesome. Well, yeah. let's get into that because that's they're they're next on the list. Obviously. But then that so. and then but it, like that world. And then when we say to Brian Hartline, "Hey, how come Julian only played eleven snaps last week?" And Brian Hartline's answer is something like, "Are you guys watching Marvin Harrison Jr. Right. and Mecca right. Buka? Why right. would I take them off the field?" 
What would you do? If, how, what am I supposed to do? They're, they're all big. Ten. I think I have the three best receivers in the big 10. Like Julian didn't do anything wrong, but I can't take those guys off the field. No, I, I don't. Yeah. I don't think that's completely off the board that like Julian doesn't do anything wrong. He's just been more sidetracked than the other two so far. And if the other two barrel down their track, Stephen, of what you said, year two, mm-hmm. let's go. If they go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It- that's it, it's true that the, the two scenarios I put out there are not the only two. What you just said kind of goes back to my point at the beginning, which is maybe that Julian Fleming has been both hurt and blocked. And even if he's healthy in 2022, there's still a scenario where he's blocked. Yes. Right. Yeah. It's, and it's not even just like a Julian Fleming thing. It's, it's a, this is how the room has been built where like, just as likely as it is that you can get up to four or five people in a, in a rotation for them, just because it's a bunch of five stars and top 100 recruits, it's just as likely three guys just claim those spots. And that's what it is. So like you getting hurt or you being blocked, it's like that tough. Like you kind of, you got to force your way on the field in that room at this point, And you can't really use the excuse of you were blocked. Okay. The hurt thing, fine, but you can't really, if the excuse is you were blocked, I don't think that can be a thing anymore with this type of room. And, and I just don't think we can pretend we know for sure what's going to happen with no. those three guys. I, I don't Absolutely think, not. I don't think we have a handle on it because of Egbuka now being outside and what that exactly is going to look like. And because of Fleming's injury issues of the past. And I think we probably have a, think we have a better grasp on Marvin Harrison jr. But we also might be putting too much on one three touchdown performance in the role in the Rose bowl. So Clearly, this is one of the things to watch in August. And I don't even know that we'll have a sense like by week four exactly how this is going to shake out. And it's also going to be one of those things where you can think and they could think we know how this is going to shake out. And then somebody gets a hit pointer and misses two weeks and then everybody Mm -hmm. else barrels ahead. And all of a sudden it's like, well, that I didn't do anything wrong, but I can't take these other guys off the field. Uh, let's move along to Marvin Harrison Jr. By the way, I think I was thinking Carvin Morris, Carvin Marvin, like a good nickname for him. Like he carves up defenses. Route Man Marv is already his nickname. Yeah, Route this, this is Man catchy. Marv. Route Man Marv. I think he might be the best route runner of these four. Well, at least that's how they talk about him. That he's the best route runner of the four. He's he's also, I mean, at 6'3", 205, this is the first like big receiver Ohio State's had since Ben Victor, right? Like everybody else has been sort of in the same six foot, five category. eleven, one ninety, yeah, I mean, yeah. within like an inch or two of each other, within like ten or twelve pounds of each other, it just uh, almost like by type. So as much as as Heartline has talked about, you know, versatility and this this concept of having sort of a positionless receiver core, not that they've really necessarily done that in practice, but it, he's he's kind of mentioned that as being sort of an ideal. Uh, is it possible? That, what we see this year is the most NFL like starting receiver group of the day era that you have, you know, um, Smith and Jigba in the middle, and maybe he does move around a little bit. You've got Harrison as a big guy on one side and you've got, you know, speed as, you know, top, top in speed on the outside at the other. That seems, you know, kind of a, a, a mix that hasn't exactly balanced out like that in the last few years. 
Yeah, no, I think I think variety is is cool like that. And um, listen, there's a lot of smaller receivers that are having a lot of success in the NFL sure. right now too. But Ohio State has been the victim of some guys like that. And Mike Williams is a guy that always comes to mind when you talk about big receivers because he just had a big game over Denzel Ward in that 2016 Fiesta Bowl for Clemson. That year, he had 98 catches for 1,361 yards and 11 touchdowns. If Marvin Harrison is out there mossing people and just like running great routes, but then when there's a ball in the air, he is just like going up and grabbing big catches over cornerbacks all day. Fans love big receivers as talented as this team is. If he starts doing that in a way that I don't know, like Michael Thomas would go up over some people sometimes. And, you know, Devin Smith was a deep threat with the high jumper. That's kind of not exactly it though. Like I I think Steven, there will be people that if he does that, he will be people's favorite Ohio state player on this team this year because people love big receivers who do that. And it's just not necessarily a thing that Ohio state has had a ton of goal line fades. I think, I mean, that's where it's, it's almost, I, I, I mentioned it when we did the retalkables for the Ohio state Michigan game, the ceiling with him this year is Ben Victor's catch against Penn state. He just has one of those every game and it's more consistent. And yeah. to that point, yeah, that's a high, like what Jackson does is just really just racking up a lot of the yards and stuff. And you realize at the end of the game, man, he had 12 catches for 180 yards. He was balling today. Marvin Harrison Jr.'s body type mixed with his, you know, what he is, his skill level, his pedigree, is the fact that he's the son of a Hall of Famer. That's room for ESPN, you know, Sports Center top 10 highlight. And who doesn't like the ESPN Sports Center top 10 highlight? where it's just him in a 5'11 corner and CJ's just like, I'm just going to throw it up, go get it. And then two or three times a game, Marvin just goes to get it. Well, then, let's like, also, you, go ahead. You, you go up and make that catch and like the corner jumps and falls down at your feet and then you catch it and you look down at him. And it's like, is that like that <laughs> yeah. people, people love, like people are going to, you love got most. <laughs> oh my God. So, and again, listen, I, I remember there's a guy, the guy that sticks in my head in this because, and again, sometimes it's true, but every single time you talk about big receiver, people talk about it being a red zone threat. That's immediately where people go. T.Y. Williams is a guy, he was from Cleveland. He was a big receiver that was here at the end of the Trestle era and just never really did anything. He's on my list. Like we've never done it of all the things we do in the summer. Um, we have never done, where are they now? And back in Sports Illustrated's heyday, when people are trying to take vacation in the summer, like the where are they now issue of Sports Illustrated, where it's like you could tell reporters got to sign guys the year before and they had a year to go find them and then write about them. And then they put it all in one issue. Who didn't love the where are they now issue? So if we ever I've always had that in my head of like, where are they now? We take ideas from texters and we each take a guy or two, like the minute the spring game ends and say, like, go find them and find out what he's doing and let's meet back in August. Right. And we've never done it. Cause we're always busy. Um, if we ever do that, like T Y Williams is really high on my list because the excitement that people had for a big receiver from Cleveland, and then it just never happened at all. So um, 
I'm super curious. We might be overestimating him. He's not six eight, right? Right. I right. mean, like, but, but but you can hear the excitement in our voice of like he might jump over people. But it's but just, also like, people love it. I, I but the thing I'm also thinking as you guys are talking about that was just because he is a little bit taller than the average receiver they have doesn't mean he isn't also really fast and mm-hmm. very athletic. And I see him being potentially pretty dynamic just on those long handoffs that they do off into the flats where you, you spin a little cornerback around and now you've got to step on him and you're gone, or you just flatten the guy. I think those could be just as much highlight worthy at times from Marvin Harrison jr. Then, you know, the, the, the phase in the end zone that you're talking about, Steven. Yeah, we, we, we said it um, earlier, maybe like three or four months ago. It's what if he's everything Garrett, Garrett Wilson is, but also he has the height to go along with it. Which means you don't have to set Garrett Wilson as an X receiver. It was 5'11 and he played like he was 6'3, but also could do a lot of that, that handoff stuff, the jet sweep stuff, and all that stuff. What if you just made Garrett Wilson four inches taller and he still had the same skill set? That that's I think I agree with that. It's not just throw him the ball on a goal line fade in, in the red zone. It's he can do everything that you need your X receiver to do at Ohio State still. Somewhere on Stevens in a Word document, somewhere on his computer, there is Garrett Wilson fan fiction where he gets bit by like mm-hmm. a radioactive uh, yeah. giraffe and grows four inches and just terrorizes college football and or the NFL in ways that no one ever thought possible. T.Y. Williams, Williams uh, class of 2010, Ohio State recruiting class of 2010, Shaw High School in Cleveland listed at 6'6". So he'd be a tight end right now blocking. That's a tall receiver. That's I don't, a tall receiver. I don't think it's – it's maybe almost not even fair to call Marvin Harrison Jr. a tall receiver by that standard. No, I, I know. Six, I know. Five, he's six, six, three. he's I, just I, taller I, than Ohio State's other He's receivers. just taller than Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. But he is yeah. – yeah, he does have a little bit of something that they don't have otherwise in this rotation. Uh, Emeka Igbuka, if he's not a starter – and, again, I don't know that we're maybe declaring one way or the other on that. I think there are some things – in that rotation have to shake out in the preseason, obviously. But if he's not a starter, do we still think he sees starter-like targets while sort of floating around the offense? Do we think he has one spot? We think he is the – it just seems – we've talked about this before, right? It seems like a limitation and maybe a, a missed opportunity if he's just the backup slot and he's not someone that they can find other usage for. I think he's everybody's backup, but also – I think Marvin Harrison is solidifying himself as Ohio State's number two guy. And I could see a world where they're just rotating the C with uh, Julian yeah. and Emeka. And if something happened to either Marvin or Jackson, Emeka knows what to do with those two spots. So I, I, I think I'm operating under the assumption that Emeka Buka has a role because I don't know why he wouldn't. Right. Now, we also can get ahead of ourselves. He only had nine catches for 191 yards last year, right? But also Jackson Smith and Jigma didn't do much his first year. But what Steve is talking about, like, year two, let's go. I don't know why that wouldn't happen with the guy who was the number one receiver in his class, who was the return guy last year, who has played inside and outside, who seemingly has done everything right so far. You know, Julian Fleming's had a couple bumps in the road, again, primarily nagging injuries that to me, it's like, okay, if Julian Fleming gets a little off track, then maybe they just go with three. But if Julian Fleming is good, then I kind of assume 
that it's kind of a four-man deal. And maybe maybe you're right, Stephen, that it's really two starters and split the third spot. Mm-hmm. But I, I I have a hard time anticipating a Mekeg Buka just sort of getting shoved aside. I just I just don't know what that would look like if he's healthy. Well, I think the one thing that would potentially happen is that if Julian Fleming, instead of becoming being the one who's blocked, becomes the blocker, if he just has that breakthrough year. But I, I just don't know that even then it's like I, I don't think that would be enough. to. I don't I still don't think he'd be blocked. Like I as much as we're saying because because Emeka Egbuka is still on track, I think he may be impossible. I mean, listen. They they were so aware of not blocking Jackson Smith and Jigba that they kind of told Jamison Williams it was okay to transfer. <laughs> so, sure. right, like if you're on your path, it doesn't guarantee anything in year two. But if you're a five-star receiver who comes here, I actually think it would be bad for them if a Mecca Egbuka does everything right, is the number one receiver comes from the state of Washington does everything right as a freshman has a great off season is ready to go. And they're like, eh, sorry. I actually think that maybe wouldn't be great because he didn't do anything wrong. Now, Julian Fleming didn't do anything wrong either, but he had some stuff happen. So I just, I, I almost think a Mecca is unblockable in that way. For that being be said, Fleming in the Rose Bowl, 47 snaps, a Mecca 18 snaps. And some of that was because like, Fleming's shoulder popped out, so Emeka went in there. But I do think what, what eases that, I understand what you're, the, the, you, you came this far away. It's so hard to do that when, you, when you're not playing. The fact that Emeka Ibuka is also their kick returner and might even be their punt returner, it's like it's not like he doesn't have a role at all. That's While true. with Julian, it's either play wide receiver or sit on the bench. I think Emeka will get used enough to where if it is – a 15 to 20 snap difference between him and, and Julian, you don't notice it because he's still having an impact. Yeah. That was actually the point I was going to make was about the, the special teams that he can still be a star for this team in some ways. So I, your point is, is a very good one, Doug. That's just the one little caveat that he would have going for him. Um, and Bukit was returning in the Rose bowl. He had had obviously some injury stuff late mm-hmm. last season, but he did come back and return all of the, the Utah kickoffs in that game and had a good game. So it wasn't like he was too hurt to get more snaps. Um, and I think that's a astute observation that Fleming still had that edge and snaps for that particular matchup. And Egbuka still had more receiving yards in that game though, even though Julian yeah. played three times as many snaps. So, so that's also an astute observation. <laughs> <laughs> some other names, um, uh, Cameron Babb, Jaden Ballard, Caleb Burton, Keon Grays, of that group, and I, I don't know the universe. We're not marking down that any of those guys are going to have a big breakthrough. But who would you say of that group is most likely to sort of spoil this party and give us someone else that we should have factored in? I mean, we have to pick one. I mean, I just don't even. I guess Cam Babb, like Cam Babb, is ready to go. He's a top 100 recruit. He's physically gifted. He's a great leader. And now he's ready. And what does that look like? I guess I would pick that. Bab is the one that, who was it Stroud that said it at one point? That like He said that he was, if he was healthy and he was out there, he'd be able to let the cough finalist. And that they all, everybody in that room seems to think Cam Bab is the best player in the room, which I'm not saying it that's true or not true it's just like 
I want to see him get through fall camp. Yeah, I and know, I don't not, know. That's not trolling a guy. That's just it's I think not. it's I think we're all we don't root for people for or against, but no. it's hard not to root for Cambab to at least be healthy through January at the very least. Like he needs that. I, I think he deserves that at this. Point. I think everybody would be pleasantly surprised if it happens because that guy to space. I mean, just him as a human being, he deserves that. And he's super talented and yep. he's ripped like he's, yeah, that too. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, it's not like he wasn't I, taking care of his body and he kept getting hurt. Like there's nobody yeah. on this roster that that has yeah. done their body the way Cameron Cambabda has. Can you imagine if there was a receiver who kept getting hurt and like you went in to talk to him and he was like walking off the field after practice and he, you know, took his jersey off and he had his shirt off and he looked like me. And it'd be like, oh, yeah, what? Oh, that guy? That guy keeps getting hurt. It'd be like, oh, man, I don't know. I have this terrible, oh, I have this terrible injury luck. I don't know what it is that I've done. And it's like, have you looked in the mirror? It's your yeah. fault. Well, you can look back at pictures of players from like the 40s, 50s. Maybe the black and white doesn't help. Maybe it was just the, the way the uniforms fit back then. But sometimes you look at like, oh, here's the you know, all-time great quarterback so-and-so, and you're like, huh? You look like just a yeah. insurance salesman. My, my no offense to the insurance salesmen out there who are probably all in better shape than I am right now. I can when, – uh, when Forgetting Sarah Marshall came out, which is one of my favorite movies, and it great uh, film. Fa- famously has the Jason Siegel full frontal nudity at the beginning. Yes. And my friend and I and talked about this because there was like a review of it that was like Jason Siegel with his soft – floppy chubby body is willing to whatever and i can remember watching that movie and being like i don't know i think he looks pretty good like that's like i i take that and like everybody else was like oh this fat guy you know shows his his private parts and i was like oh that's fat okay well then i'm in trouble but anyway i do think is there a world getting back to football is there a world where like it's a five man thing. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, well it's a Mecca like Buka and Julian Fleming rotating at Z and it's Cam Bab and Marvin Harrison jr. Rotating at X. Is that the best case scenario of Cam Bab? It's certainly the best case scenario for Cam Bab. Um, uh, I think I, there I'm maybe like if, yeah. So, like, I, so, so, so yeah. Steven says you want him to get through fall camp. Let's say he does. Okay. And he's, and he's good. Yes. And he looks like the top 100 recruit. Then what? Then it's then yes, five minutes on the table. We did a whole video about is the six man rotation dead in terms of forcing it. Yes. But if six guys show you they deserve to play, especially with the way they recruit this room then six guys are going to play period. And if only four guys show you only four guys, only two guys and two guys, if Cam Bab gets through fall camp and let's just say we go to a fall camp practice and we walk away like, yo, Cam Babs, he's like that. Then yes, it's a five-man rotation. And if the same thing for Jaden Ballard, if he goes out there and it's like, yo, Jaden Ballard's like that too, then it's a six-man rotation. But if not, we'll see three or four guys. Yeah, a lot of these guys, they've said good things about. It. I've heard good things about Keon Grays. I was talking to someone uh, a couple of weeks ago who had talked to to Grays and came away very impressed by just kind of his mindset and the way he's yeah, looking he's... at being a young guy coming into a room with this much talent and and uh, how he's taking that challenge. So I think that, but even there is a little bit of a difference. Like people are like, oh, like here's a lot of good things that Jaden Ballard has done. But there, it, I still, I still hear a gap in the way they talk about him versus like Marvin Harrison Jr., which is like, oh, that guy's like on the pro doorstep. 
Yeah. I hashtag too many good players. What are we, what are we going to tell you? Uh, just to make sure we cover all the bases here. Trevon Henderson last year, 27 receptions in 13 games. Doug, you were talking when we had that um, rapid fire question that was sort of along these lines and you were envisioning a scenario where there's like a bunch of guys get like high forties or 50 receptions. Could Trevin Henderson get 50 receptions in 15 games? No, I don't think it's a nice outlet. I don't think they would design that many passes to the running back. And I don't think second year full grasp of the offense, a kajillion different weapons, CJ Stroud, would be like checking it down that much. I think that's a good way to say it. They don't use it that way. They don't use it. That way. I think he could do it. I think he could be a more prolific receiver. They just don't use running back that you way. You throw in a screen once or twice a game, keep a defense honest. I mean, like his big explosion against Minnesota last uh, year in his first game was on a screen. Like the screen game with Trayvon Henderson is, is quite good, but I think that's one or two a game, probably maybe two, but I don't think it's, five and then i don't think it there's a ton of other things they would do with him over under on how many games javon henderson has over 45 receiving cards One so now half. so now this is so second appetizer who oh. buffalo yeah. blasts buffalo blasts by no, the way it's like yeah the, well the, the first one was like the the first one was the bread they bring out so it wasn't oh, okay you get that anyway this is like the one you paid for this one paid for all right this is a buffalo blasts yeah. over under how many games travion henderson has more than 45 receiving yards. Cause see, like, I think it's possible that he might have like three screens this year that pop for more than 45 yards on their own. Mm-hmm. So I have to take that into account. I'll say, but then sort of like a, a normal accumulation, I actually don't think would happen all that much. So I'll say four. I'll say three. For the record, he had three last year. And one game where he had 44. And one of the games was when he had the 70 yard screen pass for a touchdown. Yeah. So it's like if he has like two screens that go for more than 50 on their own, and then he has two other games where he has accumulation. I mean, I think, I think yeah. probably the right, right. So what's your prediction? What's your Buffalo blast? I'll say four. I think he's explosive enough, but then there's also going to be some times when it's just like he's ejected down to him and he took a, four yard pass for 12 yards and he does that enough times because the, he was part of it the the, the the catches were one four five and six so there's going to be opportunities anyone we haven't mentioned that we need to mention as a candidate before we move into marking it down so we haven't mentioned any tight ends in any way shape or form nope. but just i just did i think that's probably okay <laughs> yeah we just that's did point. they got their mention right there all right we are going to come back from this break we are going to mark down who Ohio State's second leading receiver will be in 2022 here on Buckeye Talk. All right, setting some final parameters as we guess who Ohio State's predict, I should say, second leading receiver will be in 2022. Last year, Jackson Smith at Jigba, 95 receptions, higher or lower in 2022, Doug? Oh, higher. And now we're talking like final stats, full season. Correct. Not 12 game regular season, higher. Yeah, higher. I think I agree. Uh, 1,606 yards, higher or lower? Higher. 
I sat in the Browns parking lot and made us do a podcast. I know. About Will Jackson Smith and Jigba <laughs> have 2,000 receiving yards? You did. My higher. computer was dying. <laughs> and I made us do that podcast. So I can't sit here and be like, you know what? I actually think it's 1450. No, over 60. Yeah, higher for sure. Higher. I say higher, but I'm, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it'll be 2100, 2000, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Because uh, again, but, but again, that was 1613. Correct. Yeah. Which but is as like you the also fewest number out, of yeah. games they can play. Now, as you said, if, if the season gets a little hinky, if the season goes like last year, he'll play 12. Right. Because he won't be in mm-hmm. the home. So right. now we're talking a different thing. But if you are anticipating 14 games, maybe 15, that's a lot of time to get big numbers. Well, yeah, he can average fewer yards per game in 15 games and still have more yards than he did. Mm-hmm. in last season uh nine touchdowns last year higher lower 2022 higher push so let's uh how many touchdown passes did cj stroud throw last year 44 44 mm-hmm. do we think he might break 50 this year yeah so if he breaks 50 i'm not sure how his leading receiver doesn't have at least double digit touchdowns because yeah, Jackson was Jackson was comfortably leading this team in receiving yards, even heading into the Michigan game because of what he did against Nebraska. But he only had six touchdown catches heading into that Rose Bowl. The outside guys got the touchdowns, even if he got the touches. Yeah, so but Steven, now he's the number one receiver. I'd go, I'd go like over 15, frankly. For Jackson, I, I'm just think he's going to have a gigantic season. Like if you're like, and we'll probably do like a market down, mm-hmm. even if it's not officially a market down, Nathan, you put out a list, but like, I would like all of us to state for the record, what we think Jackson Smith and Jigba's final statistics are going well, to be. And I don't know that this is the place to do it, but I'm going explosive, explosive, explosive for the three categories. If, if he's going to be that, if it's going to be that big of a season, I think that will probably come up on the, either the Buckeye Grove episode or the Heisman Trophy episode. Okay. Let's Heisman make Trophy sure episode we will, for we, that kind of, those kind of stats, I think. But I think we do at some point, is, I mean, maybe we just do it on the site, but it's like, it's nice to mark down how many rushing yards do you think Trevon Henderson's going to have? Like when we get to the end of the season and we're looking back in history and you say, Trevon Henderson had this many rushing yards in 2022. What's that number going to be? What's that number going to be for CJ Stroud passing yards? What's that number going to be for Jackson Smith and Sigbert receiving yards? We do have an episode earmarked for some like stat predictions. And I think we can make that everything we want it to be. That'll be like somewhere in the middle of the, the, the two months we have coming up. Steven, okay, hold on. I'll change my answer higher. Even if I don't think it'll be significantly higher the way maybe Doug does. Okay. I wasn't having us mark that down, but we are going to mark down what mm-hmm. comes next. So we're going to start with receptions. Steven, who, I assume that then that you think Jackson Smith the Jigba will lead in receptions. Who will be number oh, yeah. two in receptions? Marvin, one, because, I mean, he's solidifying himself as a number two, and it's, it's clear that's been the case since the Rose Bowl. But then also, I'm not – I kind of believe there might be a rotation at Z, which means Marvin's just going to be on the field more often than the other two guys are, and so there's just more opportunity to go around for him. I also said Marvin Harrison Jr., and a, a lot of it is just – where you think the targets are going to be. I just think he'll, I, I think you're right. I, the usage that I can envision as of today in the, early July has him on the field in a more guaranteed way than Fleming or Egbuka. 
Doug, who did you pick? And again, like we sort of have an example of that in 2020 where the X mm-hmm. and the slot went crazy and like the Z kind of disappeared. And that now that was a time when they were playing Luke Farrell and Jeremy Rucker together a lot. And the tight ends are not that experienced or talented, we think this year. So we think there won't be as much 12 and all that. So it's not exact. It's not an exact comparison, but like the X doesn't vanish, you know, like Marvin Harrison's not going anywhere. You're, so yeah. like I, I, as much as we feel like this is a legitimate question to ask, I would be very curious to hear from people who are like marking down someone other than Marvin Harrison Jr. here, because I just think there are too many things schematically. And then also just, I think where most of Buckeye nation is with expectations based on this guy's pedigree, what he flashed in the Rose bowl, his route running, his size, the highlight he had this summer, whatever catch, like, there's just too much Marvin Harrison Jr. momentum, I think, across the wide swath of everybody listening and everybody in on the beat that I'm not saying it's the right answer, but I just sort of feel like it's the answer that everybody would give. Did you poll this, Nathan? I did poll this. Who will finish second interception for Ohio State in 2022 behind Jackson Smith and Jigba? Marvin Harrison Jr. was the clear winner, 65% of our texters voted for Marvin Harrison Jr. Are you, are you surprised? Do you think that should be, you surprised it's that low? If we would have guessed, I would have guessed 80. Yeah. 65% it's... for Harrison, uh, 27% for Emeka Egbuka, and then uh, 7% for Julian Fleming, a smattering of votes for Trevon Henderson, one vote for Cam Babb, and then even one vote for Jackson Smith and Jigba from someone who says that Marvin Harrison Jr. will lead in yards and catches. Yeah, it's just, it's really... It, regardless of what your offensive scheme is, your X receiver is backside of the formation one-on-one a lot of the times, and you can't ignore that because all it is is can that guy beat this guy, and then, which is why X receivers are typically number one receivers unless you've got a crazy good slot guy like Ohio State or maybe the Rams do. So if that is true, then does it also logically follow that Marvin Harrison Jr. will lead in receiving yards or be second, I'm sorry, in receiving yards. He'll lead that secondary pack in receiving yards. I said, yes, he's also my pick to be Ohio State's second leading receiver in terms of yardage. Doug, who did you pick? I think he is more of a lock to be second in receiving yards than he is to be in receptions. That if he's going to be a guy who's going to be you know, listen, the Z gets down the field as part of that too. But I like, I just think some one-on-one stuff, as Steven said, um, he's not a possession receiver. I don't think like, I think he's going to be doing some big stuff. So, you know, I think if there's, I think there's more of a chance of a world where like a Mecca Buka, even as the Z, which sometimes does end up being a deep threat is just like, he has still some slot stuff in him and maybe he's doing some little bit of stuff and it's like, Hey, you mm-hmm. just get a Mecca free, but Marvin makes a bunch of big plays. And it's like, Oh, wow. What do you know? A Mecca Buka had 52 catches and Marvin Harrison had 49, but Marvin had like 300 more yards receiving. Like, I just think that's, I would bet more money on Marvin Harrison jr. As the number two yardage guy than even the number two receptions guy. So I'll definitely take him. Yeah. Since you use a Mecca, I'll use Julian. I think there's a Julian might average more yards per catch as a deep threat. But Marvin's just going to get the ball more and can do more with it and ends up being second in receiving yards. 
Our texters were less convinced about the receiving yardage. They still picked Marvin Harrison first, but only 54% of them voted for Marvin Harrison Jr. and 35% for Emeka Egbuka. 10, a little over 10% for Julian Fleming. Um, one vote for Jaden Ballard. Uh, a couple of, um, at least one for Jackson Smith Jigba as well. So, like I said before, somebody had voted Jackson Pedruga. Um, they, they voted Marvin Harrison Jr. first in both uh, catches and yards. So touchdowns was the one that I thought there might be some more legitimate uh, argument to be made of how someone else besides Jackson Pedruga could lead in touchdowns. I think that specifically applied to Marvin Harrison Jr. If you feel like his height, um, what you saw in the Rose Bowl, if those some combination of those things could lead him to be Ohio State's, you know, primary red zone target to such a degree that he leads in touchdowns, uh, I would listen to it. I still pick Marvin. I still pick Jackson Smith to Jigby to lead in touchdowns and Marvin Harrison to finish second. Did either of you pick someone other than Jackson Smith and Jigby to lead in touchdowns? I did. I picked Marvin Harrison. I think his makeup, I think the spot on the field he plays in and what we've seen so far in him flashing, I think he leads. And honestly, if I'm going to get hyperbolic anywhere with this subject, it'll be with the touchdowns and saying, what if Marvin Harrison Jr. breaks Ohio State's single season touchdown record? Which is 17, 17, 17, Terry Glenn in 1995. Pair, uh, Chris Olave had 13 last year and he had 12 in 2019. Garrett Wilson had 12 last year. Um, I'm just... You know, why not? If if Marvin Harrison's not going to be second in touchdown receptions, I think the best bet is that Jackson Smith and Jigba is second because Marvin Harrison is first. Yeah. I, I don't think there's a better choice to say, no, 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 I think it's Mecca Booger Julian Fleming. So I think my my pick, my market down is Jackson leads Marvin is second. But I think Steven, the next most likely thing is what is what you picked. And that maybe it's like eight or like 16 for Marvin and 13 for Jackson or something that in a world where CJ throws 50. Yeah, some some doubt among our texters. Still 59% for Jackson Smith and Jigba to lead Ohio State in touchdowns in 2022. Touchdown receptions in 2022. 36% for Marvin Harrison Jr. So I think that's a healthy segment. Um, uh, 4% for Mecca Igbuka. Uh, a few votes for Julian Fleming. One vote for Trevin Henderson and one vote for G. Scott the first tight end mention we had among our text uh, results. So I also asked sort of an overriding, overriding question. It was, it was what the crux of that um, rapid fire question was earlier in the week, which was what is your level of concern about a second receiving threat emerging for Ohio state in 2022? And the options were, I have real concern that a true threat opposite Jackson Smith and Jigba does not emerge and it costs OSU a game or more. Uh, some concern after what I saw from the defense and O-line at times in 2021, I take nothing for granted. Very little concern. What are the chances all of these guys stink? And zero concern. I saw everything I needed to see in the Rose Bowl. What do you guys think won this poll? Very little. I might say zero concern. Zero concern wins, and it's it's somewhat healthy. 58% yeah. said hmm. zero concern. 36% said very little. And those are actually pretty close answers when you the the, what are the chances all of these guys stink is sort of the argument you were making right doug that 
you've you've recruited this room so well you've already seen flashes from a lot of these guys what are the chances that any of them stink uh the, some some concern got only five percent of the vote and literally one vote for i have real concern that it costs osu a game or more that nobody else emerges so uh, what a what a what a shocking breakthrough we've come to at the end of this episode of market down monday ohio state has a bunch of really good receivers in 2022 i will say to back up Steven's point about picking Marvis Harrison Jr. to lead in touchdowns, in 2018, Paris Campbell led Ohio State with 90 receptions, and he led them with 1,063 yards. He had 12 touchdowns. Terry McLaurin only had 35 catches compared to 90. He had 11 touchdowns. Hmm. So, like, that's – and he had 701 yards compared to 1,063. So, he was 355, 350 yards behind in, in yardage. He was – almost tripled by Paris Campbell in number of receptions, but the touchdowns are basically equal. Like that's, that's a version I think of what Steven's talking about. Yeah. And I think, thank you for doing that research. If I'd have done that research before, I think that would have been my point when I was first a little iffy with the Jackson push where like, he just racks up a bunch of everything else, but he doesn't necessarily get into the end zone, but yeah. Shouldn't, shouldn't that just be the Steven means mindset though? Like you didn't do the research, but you might as well have done the re- you basically did the research by I mean, saying that's the Buckeye. thing that should have I mean, been. I mean, Buckeye talk sometimes, man. Sometimes somebody says something, and then later on, somebody backs up your point by doing the research for you. No, he, he he just knew the research was there. He knew in his heart that the facts were out there somewhere. I will say the difference to me, Doug, though, is that uh, I, Jackson Smith and Jigba should be in that ninety to one hundred catch conversation just like Paris Campbell was that year but we're talking about 600 to 800 to however many more yards than Paris Campbell had that year so I don't know how you get all those yards and not get in the end zone even more than that I think that's gonna that's kind of how I was looking at it or 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 Jackson's Paris Campbell and Emeka's KJ Hill and that's why it happens like that because one guy's got 90 and the other guy's got 70. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that's, that's – we don't that's, think they're going to actually yeah, split no. the slot that way. That would be yeah. a surprise if that happens. That's but. the least likely you know scenario here, but it's just like that they did it before. So No no offense. Like, Paris Campbell's a very good football player. He's not Jackson Smith or Jacob. No, he's so, not. So Which nobody is saying that, that he is. But Jackson Smith and Jigba is Jackson Smith and Jigba, and it's one of the more <laughs> anticipated – Things to watch in college football this year, certainly oh, God, in the Big God. Ten, certainly for Ohio State. I'm pulling that out. Jackson, Nathan, and I'm not even doing Buckeye talk. That's just straight Nathan Bear. Jackson Smith, yeah. that's like the Browns is the Browns. Jackson Smith and Jigba is Jackson Smith and Jigba. Nathan Baird. What was the thing? Oh, what was three ninety nine a month? Only three ninety nine a month for that analysis. It was the Kyle what? McCord video. Did we talk about oh. that? The Kyle McCord video that started with Nathan yep. Baird analysis? Yeah. yeah. That's like that. That's that's gonna, there's going to be a Jackson Smith and Jigba video at some point this year that starts with Jackson Smith and Jigba is Jigba. Jackson Smith and Jigba. Yeah, I haven't been in a room or football complex with Common Accord since then. It was, I thought, a pretty innocuous piece of audio for people who want to go back and listen to it. I'm curious, though, like, how did he feel about the what I was saying at that point, which was basically just like, um, you know, we'll see if he's taking a step forward and is, is, is yeah. better when they need him. And uh, will he like say like, oh, yeah, that was a really smart thing you said, or will he throw a football at my head? So I have been in a complex with Kyle McCord, and I'm just going to tell you right now, he didn't listen to that thing, man. He just saw a cute video and put it up on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm going to say that I have not been in a room with him, but I heard he wrote NB on his shoes. So mm. I don't know what that means, um, but I think it's a motivator. I'm trying to think of what NB could stand for. Yeah. Like need blowout. So you can get on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I can get in. See, now, now he will throw a football in my head. <laughs> Oh, I have, I have, I have, I have uh, nothing but appreciation for the the football skills of Comicord. I just can't help myself from being a smartass sometimes. That's a very Buckeye talk way to end this episode. The first, I, I, of- I, I will, I will tease this. By the way, um, no, we already did that podcast. Sorry, I was going to tease the podcast that already went out on Friday that we have not yet recorded. So when you listen to that Friday podcast, Kyle McCord was is. Well, no, you it wasn't revealed to you. Okay. The podcast that you listened to Friday Which? was our most our most influential rankings of current Buckeyes, but we only did, I think, like the bottom group and we did not talk about Kyle McCord. It's because Kyle McCord in our rankings of how good and important players are for Ohio State this year as the backup quarterback, he's pretty high. He's pretty high. So he should take that as a sign of respect. Yes. And I think we, and we all of us will reveal our various rankings how we ranked guys both in terms of being influential and in terms of how special they are to kind of come up with a score and our texters know by now that they were invited to help us come up with that score as well but i think there's gonna be some good discussions i'm looking forward to it i actually voted for that the day before my son was born i voted i think i sent you that email on april 30th it was like the last cleveland.com thing i did and i remember sending you an email saying like man i'm bummed that you guys are going to do this great um, like debate while I'm gone. I think it's going to make some really good content and then you didn't do it. So I get to come back and help do it. I'm excited. Yeah. yeah. That will be, yeah. was on Friday's episode and in future episodes, we're going to keep counting that down as we go along through the preseason. But until the next market now, Monday, I am Nathan Baird for Doug Maurice for Stephen means that was Buckeye talk. Generally speaking, green bean crispers.